0: they wallow in corruption, crime, and gore. Tingling ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra. Read all about it. It's a mess, meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meets such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis. Every week on the key issues affecting the news media, we hope, and we thank you for joining us. My name is Rex Smith. I'm here with two other, like me, veteran newspaper editors, Barbara Lombardo and Judy Patrick, and with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. We are your media projectors today. Greetings, all, and we should talk about what we're going to talk about, Right.
1: Okay, yes, but I just have a small objection. Here I am, a distinguished former publisher of a major newspaper, The Fire Island Sun, and you always just sort of slough me off as being from the radio station. Come on now, and a, a syndicated columnist and a, all of that. So let's give me a little credit
0: here. Give for Alan a little credit because he gets so little, and uh, we know that he feels deflated sometimes. So sorry. Well, Alan, we're actually going to lead off with your thoughts about this because this is a remarkable time. It has been what actually an article in Columbia Journal's Review calls an apocalyptic news cycle. I mean, just think about what, since we were last on the air with this program a week ago, there's been this attack by Hurricane Ida, the continuing mess in Afghanistan, the evacuation and the end of American military involvement there, at least for now. Of course, we have COVID numbers rising once again. We have wildfires sweeping through areas of the West. We have climate change threatening the very existence of the planet. I think that is actually not an exaggeration. And we have racial stress, to put it mildly, throughout America. I guess the question that I have to ask journalists in the face of all this is, What do you do? How do you handle a news cycle that seems to have massive stories like these? How do you bring some perspective without absolutely terrifying your audience because the role of journalism is really to empower citizens, not to cause them to hide under their covers.
1: And here I thought that the role of journalists was just to tell what was happening. So is that like it was? As Vinny used to say in my class, so is that like it is? So that's right. I don't think it's to empower anybody, I don't think it's to make them feel better or feel worse. I think it's just to tell the truth. And too often we have perspectives on what truth is, but I think that's different.
0: But how do you scale things? Judy, you have any insight into this from your years as a newspaper editor? How do you bring some sense when you have so many issues that are so overwhelming?
2: Right. And it is indeed easy to get overwhelmed when you're trying to handle the news or put out a paper each day things come barreling at you. And it wasn't until I listened to you, you know, rattle off all the things that were happening now that I began to get a little overwhelmed myself. But what you do is you say, all right, what's the news of the day? What's happening right now? What do we need to address and go forward? I mean, there's always news. We talk sometimes about a slow news day, but there's always these times 9-11. Remember how incredible that was to cover. There were so many stories and not everything gets covered. And especially with this shrinking media footprint, not everything is going to get covered as it should. So as a news editor, when I sat in the newsroom every day and had to decide what goes on the front page, you just have to make decisions, and the big news rises to the top inevitably.
0: Barbara, do you have any uh, insight into how you would handle this if you were still running a newsroom?
3: I'll give it a shot. And not yeah. to have an, an Ida pun, but when it rains, it pours. And in fact, most days are slow news days overall. And then all of a sudden, at times in a cycle, and I guess we'd have to define what we meant by a news cycle, there's suddenly so many things going on that are all terrible as you went through so articulately. So I think that part of what we need to do is, as Alan said, we have to tell the news, even if it's bad news. It's not our job only to tell good news, but we do have to put things into context, into perspective. I think it helps when we tell readers what you can do, how you can be empowered to take action, to help other people who are suffering, to donate, to write letters, whatever, so that you are giving them some sense of, I'm not just, throwing news at you, but I'm also going to be able to take action. And sometimes big news ends up going on a back burner, regrettably, because, you know, Afghanistan goes on a back burner to Ida. Now Afghanistan is going to come back on a front burner. Sometimes you just have a lot to juggle.
0: So
1: first of all, Rex, uh, you've gone around the panel. How about you? How would you answer your own question?
0: Well, the problem is that too often we take refuge in saying, well, that's not my job. For example, Judy was the editor of the Gazette in Schenectady. Barbara was the editor of the Saratoga, and I was the editor of the Times Union. These are local newspapers, and so we can actually Mm -hmm. kind of dodge the bullet by saying, well, we're going to put on the front page what the mayor did today or something like that. But then we think about these big stories, and we think we have a great opportunity. We have a responsibility as the purveyors of information in the local community. And sometimes the problem is, it's the big story, what's lurking in the background that needs to be told most urgently, climate change being the great example. And a week ago in this show, we were talking about how the American media had stepped aside from covering Afghanistan because there wasn't much attention by public officials to it. And some people were scolding us for that. So the problem is, when a story is so big that it is pervasive, like climate change, you have to devise some clever way almost to keep that going some way to have maybe your daily climate news. That's what some people have been doing. Some news organizations have been doing with COVID. You know, your daily numbers update so that people turn to the numbers. But then people get inured to that. You look at the numbers and you get kind of callous about it. It's difficult. There isn't a really good way, but so the problem is you get so many headlines screaming at you at once that you force readers to just say, ah, never mind. It's all too big. It's all too overwhelming. Well, that's because there's a lot of it.
3: breaking News. I'm sorry for speaking over. Yeah. That's because there's a lot of breaking news at once. So that's when it feels like we're trying to dump too much on the readers at once and that it's all terrible. Mm. That doesn't really happen that often.
1: Well, look, all three of you ran what I would consider to be major newspapers, but they were local newspapers. So when you are assessing what news you want to report, is there a philosophy of a newspaper, for example, A, Rex, we cover local news. We don't cover, you know, world news. Let the New York Times do that. Is there a differentiation that people who are running smaller newspapers or local newspapers have to make?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It is just that. Oh, you can take some. I was. <laughs> just what I was saying. You take some solace from saying, well, that's what we do. We cover the local news first. But you feel like you're really abandoning your opportunity to have an impact on people if you turn to what's happening locally. But then nobody else is covering that. So it is really your responsibility to get that local stuff. You know, you make the same judgments at WAMC. You're putting on the mayor of Springfield, Massachusetts who might otherwise not get anybody covering him, and that takes airtime that I suppose could be used on whatever, climate change. But that is because that is part of your responsibility, because Springfield otherwise gets kind of neglected, right?
1: Well, it's part of our listening audience, a very, a very important part of our listening audience, somebody as pedestrian or as local as you, Rex, covering, for example, primarily Albany when you were, is very different from the responsibility of a radio network that has an obligation to all of its people. Don't you see?
3: I think that we have to try to do everything, and I've seen the pendulum swinging, I, th- I think, in a good direction. Uh, years ago, there was a time when there were owners of the Saratogian that did not want us to have anything that had the word Iraq, even though horrible major things were happening, and we had that on the front page Instead of whatever they thought we ought to be having that had Saratoga in it, they had a fit about it. And they were very upset. So it was a struggle to do the balance. At the Daily Gazette, before Judy's time there, I remember that it would be a joke in the Saratoga newsroom that if a bomb went off in Albany, it wouldn't be on the front page of the Schenectady Gazette because it wasn't local. So that has changed. I think we're striving for a balance, the local and the national, and how to localize the national.
1: That sounds so conciliatory, but, you know, we're, we're striving no, for I'm a balance. No, I'm you how it you is. No, how you well, think it is. That's true. You, how you think it is, not how it is. You say, I'm telling you how it is, which is different from what you assess it is. Don't you see the difference? Um, no.
3: I hear what you're saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of my favorite put-downs. There's something to what you say. <laughs> something. Oh.
2: The industry analyzes this and studies it, and they advise us all the time about what the readers are interested in hearing. For decades, the Daily Gazette didn't run any local stories. On oh, the well, front yes, page of I'm songs. saying
3: it reversed. It, That's what it is. Right.
2: Yeah, it was national and international news. And in fact, I back in the early 80s, I was the first reporter to have a local story on the front page of the Gazette in that era. I mean, back in the 20s and 30s, we ran local stories quite a bit. But then it switched and people would tell us that our readers are interested in local news, that they can get their national and international news somewhere else. But I came to the conclusion that we have readers to serve who rely on us as their primary source of news. And so we need to give them a good mix. And that's what I think the beauty of a newspaper or a newspaper website is that it can give you everything and you can pick and choose when you're going to read it. So you have the luxury of being able to access information from all sorts of sectors, you know, when you want, it's your convenience.
1: That is so vague. But what I I am interested in is the role of the consultant in telling newspaper editors and publishers and all uh, what they ought to do. I remember when I worked at one, uh, I was doing TV every night and I They wanted to make sure that I did it right. And they brought in a consultant. And the consultant said, use your hands more. Use your hands more. (laughs)
2: Hey, well, and now ever so since nowadays, then, we have instant feedback because when you go to your website you can tell what stories at least the digital audience is reading. You can see mm-hmm. oh they're really interested in yeah. marijuana sales. Oh, they're not interested in high school sports. It's that kind of instant feedback people are getting now, but you have to realize it's from a very limited audience.
1: Yeah. And do you all three of you did you use consultants in your business?
2: Well,
3: no, not didn't. that way. No, not the way you're describing the television. Rarely. Rarely. Our consolids were people who either renewed their subscription or didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Very well put.
0: You know, actually, the internet, the digital revolution has given us an edge, that is, the news media an opportunity, or gives readers an opportunity, really, to make their own selections of where they're going to get their information. Your news feed, if you're digitally literate, can include whatever you want it to. You don't have to be limited to whatever an editor decides to put on the front page. You have access to everything instantly. And that great advantage is why it matters less to newspapers these days days that they don't have the print circulation. You know, the new study finds that the top 25 U.S. newspapers lost 20 percent of their print subscriptions between the first quarter of 2020 and the first quarter of this year. So a that downturn in print, yeah. But that's a reflection of the emphasis. And the New York Times only has fewer than 400,000 readers in print every day. Still a lot, but it's not much by comparison to the fact that they have 8 million digital subscribers. So that's what the major news organizations are all doing. They're focusing, of course, where the readers are, which is digital. And that gives the power to the consumers to choose. But in that point that people choose sometimes what is most attention-getting, news organizations then still need to have the good journalistic discipline to follow important stories, even if they don't yield huge audiences right away. You still have an opportunity, a responsibility to do the responsible journalism, the investigative, the explanatory, not... Just go with whatever seems to be drawing page views, right?
2: Can I point out, especially to Dr. Shartok, that Uh the local newspapers had far less of an erosion in circulation. So USA Today, they lost 62% of their daily print circulation. The uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, in contrast, lost 7%. Any loss is bad, but the regional local newspapers, they did not see the erosion that those big papers did.
1: You know, Rex, right. years ago you predicted that there would be no no newspapers after 10, 12 years, something like that. I don't want to misquote you by any means because that's bad. Are you still sticking with that?
0: In terms of daily print products, yes. I think uh, w- there will be very few of them a decade from now. Yeah. Wait, but- wait. The
1: decade hasn't moved. It was a decade a decade ago. I mean, don't you well, see? Well, I don't
0: know. We'll have to go back and listen to the tape and see uh, <laughs> what I was saying. <laughs>
1: I'll ask Christina, our producer, who's shaking his head wildly, saying, "Yes, he
0: said that. Yes." He said that. <laughs> I remember going to a conference 15 years ago where one of the great thinkers said, you know, we probably will have paper for another century yet. We will have paper for a century, he said. Not newspapers. We will have paper. They're predicting that we simply will not even be using paper. So that's a significant yeah, what change. We, yes, but you'll uh,
1: have dead vision if you don't have newspapers.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. We don't have too many dead fish. I use catch and release myself as a fly fisherman. So I don't have a good answer for that, Alan. We'll wrap it in a radio station. I don't know.
1: You guys sure stick together, you... don't you? You know, you're laughing at each other's oh, bad yeah. jokes yeah, and all the rest. Yeah.
0: So, you know, here we are anyway. If you'd like to share your thoughts, <laughs> listeners, media at wamc.org is our email. Please let us know what you think. You may have some insights into this that we don't. You know, I started off by quoting this notion of the apocalyptic news cycle that was advanced mm. by an essay in Columbia Journal's Review. And there's another one that really got me going because there's an essay with the headline, The Media's Role in the Cuomo Myth written by a young journalist named Ross Barkin, who claims that Andrew Cuomo's belated demise, let's say, came because there had been too much media celebration of Andrew Cuomo, that there wasn't a lot of attention to the real Andrew Cuomo that everybody is now talking about. He refers to the gauzy coverage of Cuomo. Since we were all here for that, can we get some thoughts on that? Dr. Shartok, you want to talk about this criticism?
1: So I take it implicit in your question, uh, Rex, is that the media who celebrated Cuomo has now turned on him like an angry dog and bitten him in the you-know-what. I mean, I can remember a lot of very negative stuff about Cuomo that existed while he was governor. I don't think we should discount that. I know that if you were to inspect my columns, Rex, you would find that I had an awful lot of negative things to say about the guy, and he always reminded me of it. He always said, you have never said anything good about me. In fact, I once wrote a good column about him, and he called me up, and he said, you finally wrote a good column about me. How come? I said, I just want to drive you crazy. But in, in any case, I think there was a lot of negative stuff about Cuomo, so I don't think we can generalize that easily.
2: But we can't forget some of the wildly complimentary coverage he got. I mean, I still can see a cover of a fashion magazine. They had Melissa DeRosa on it. There was the, all the discussion of the boyfriend of one of his daughters. I think there was a whole news cycle that was consumed by the fact that he wore some sort of shirt to a press conference, and his nipples showed. Well,
3: you are uh, reading too much about Cuomo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: that, no, that was a whole weekend. And then, remember, he wheeled in a big mountain. They went to Home Depot or Lowe's or something and created this mountain. And you know what? Thankfully, there were reporters who said, How much did that mountain cost to make? What what are you doing with it? What is this about? I mean, you got that kind of feedback, especially from the people who regularly cover him. But that national media, they adored him. He was viewed as an anti-Trump in some respects.
3: And I think
2: that's, that's what happened.
3: Judy, that's exactly the note I wrote to myself was it was the anti-Trump. And I think that that contributed to, on the bigger scale, some of the fawning over Cuomo because he seemed like a normal person and he was doing some positive things. But I think the media did go overboard in fawning over him, for sure. And don't you think that all of you who run news entities, sometimes you're actually harder on someone who you like and you think is a better person, that you're more critical. On the one hand, you might be fawning over someone, on the other hand, you bend over backwards to find criticism of the person. So I think that there were examples of both, as Dr. Shartak and Judy both point out.
1: Who am I, Dr. Shartak, and she's Judy? I mean, I, I, you know, I have a certain resentment That's about right. that formality. Is there something going on here I don't recognize?
0: Well, just because you're her father's age and she just makes you think of... Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I think I'm more likely her you're grandfather's age. like a big age. brother. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more likely her grandfather's age. That's right. Yeah,
0: You know, actually, I brought up this Ross Barkin essay in part because I was so offended by it. I think that this analysis smacks of somebody who hasn't really paid attention to the media that were in fact covering Andrew Cuomo that has been just too swayed by watching cable news because I don't feel embarrassed at all frankly as having been the editor of the Capital Region newspaper that covered him so much that I don't feel embarrassed at all with our coverage about Andrew Cuomo. I think we were quite in fact prescient about this that if it weren't for some of the coverage that has been very aggressive about Andrew Cuomo people wouldn't have known about Mm. for example the statistics on nursing home deaths of COVID, the Mario Cuomo bridge construction problems that were brought to light by Times Union investigation. I mean, the campaign finance questions, the question about the Ethics Commission, the Joint Commission on Public Ethics that has functioned basically as a rubber stamp of Andrew Cuomo, that stuff has been explored thoroughly by press that has covered him closely. And I'm actually just kind of tired of national journalism reviews that swoop in and beat the breast and say, oh, the media hasn't done a good job, when in fact, I think that we did a damn good job of pointing out this guy's failures. We didn't know about the sexual harassment. But as far as the other coverage of Andrew Cuomo, I don't think that the state capital Press Corps or the local press hereabouts was fawning at all in its coverage of the former governor.
1: Rex, have you ever measured your left arm and your right arm? Because, you know, sometimes when you pat yourself on the back too much, an arm grows a little bit longer.
0: Weren't you the guy who began this conversation, Alan, by talking about how hard you had been on him? Oh, that. (laughs) Just checking to make sure that we're comparing arm lengths here. Thanks. (laughs) Um, we were always happy to have WAMC pick up these Times Union stories that produce this investigative work. You're certainly welcome. Eat, um, eat your so. heart
1: out. Eat your heart out. Our audience grows and grows and grows and yeah. grows. And as you have suggested, newspapers are not doing all that well.
0: Newspapers are doing great. Thank you very much. Not print. You know, Newspapers are doing great. <laughs>
2: you know, the, one of the problems here is that the local press corps, the Albany press corps, did follow and did report on Cuomo. And during the press conferences had during the pandemic, they were asking hard questions, but those questions were being ignored, or the reporters weren't even being called on, and it was being discussed, but it didn't get the. And on a national level, the cable news outlets, you're right, even the New York Times, the Washington Post, the coverage in many respects was falling, and that's what most. Of America saw
3: but the point that Rex was making is well taken that the author of that article it doesn't look like he did any kind of research to see what kind of critical stories the coverage over time uh, had been done of, on Cuomo or he wouldn't have been able to draw that same conclusion right since we've had uh, coverage in
0: you know in recent weeks there has been coverage frankly, praising my successors, editor of the Times Union, Casey Seiler, and the coverage in The Washington Post and The New York Times and The Wall Street Journal and The New Yorker all has cited this strong coverage of Andrew Cuomo. So I'm not just making it up, by the way, Alan. I mean, it has been covered elsewhere. No,
1: I don't Uh, think you're making uh, it up. I don't think you're making it up. Fair enough. But
3: but you know what else? The Times Union covered more of Albany and governors sometimes than, say, The New York Times, which would really, you would think, would be all over Cuomo, good and bad, and in Different.
1: It's very interesting. Mm. If you look in the Times, as I read the Times every every morning, it's a very good paper, and you look to see where the New York stories are positioned— There's the top stories, and then you have to go down the page, and there among all of the lesser stuff is New York. And I find that very interesting in that the New York Times relegates New York politics to a lesser degree. Uh, We had a very good uh, reporter, Justin McKinley, who seems to have disappeared a little bit from their uh, listings, and I wondered what was going on there.
3: I wouldn't want to fall into the same category as the author of that critical column. If I'm talking about the New York Times, then I feel like I would really need to Go back and Google it and see what kind of coverage they had critical of promo. You know, over mm. these last few years mm.
0: Bear in mind, again, those 8 million digital subscribers uh, Most of them are not in New York If you're the leading news organization In the country, you really need To have that coverage Of all the topics we were talking about At the top of the show Afghanistan, climate change, fires in the West Hurricane Ida, all of that It's a responsibility that goes Even as as big as WAMC is Alan, as vast as oh, your please. network As you cite, you know, you the New York Times Responsibility is even broader So.
1: You ought to tell that little green man sitting on your shoulder to get lost. (laughs) (laughs) What's the little green man? I don't. What's
2: that? (laughs)
0: The, The jealous man. You know, if I have to spell it out, envy. Oh, oh no. I was just, just quoting you because you brought up how big WAMC is. And I just wanted to point out that the responsibility that you feel as you were citing to cover Springfield, which I was crediting, as a matter of fact, saying that was great, you uh, is even larger for The New York Times. Anyway, one more question before we leave, and that has to do with this question of objectivity versus, let's say, the newer breed of journalism value where some of the tenets of journalism might not stand. Traditionalists say you know, neutrality among journalists. The second group says, we need to let journalists speak and be more engaged in political discourse. And a new study finds that by looking at traditionalists and those activist-minded reporters, they all still agree that journalism's first obligation is to the truth. But the question is, how much should you let journalists speak out on social issues, on social media and that kind of thing?
1: Dr. Shartok, any thoughts on that? Uh, Yes, I do, of course. I have always thought that journalists have done exactly what you are now positing as a debate. In other words, the framing of the article, the placement of the article, people who get quoted or don't get quoted. I've always thought that that's one way a reporter speaks out within the confines of what you're allowed to do and not do. Don't you see?
3: That's absolutely true. There's no denying that that's the case. And I do believe and I have always believed that news organizations at our best are catalysts for positive change. And some of that is based on carrying out you know, how we cover things, just like Alan is saying, the decisions on what we're going to cover, how we cover it. But it has to be the truth. And we have to tell people how they can make a difference. Well, but the
1: problem okay, with that is sense. what's the difference between truth as told by the New York Times or by Fox News? You and I might agree that Fox News doesn't tell the truth. but
3: Well, an awful... science-based fact. There's science-based fact. Who are you going to believe, Fox or your lion eyes? It depends who <laughs> you are. <laughs>
2: But, but as a traditionalist, can I come out against this whole movement towards allowing reporters to donate to political campaigns, to put bumper stickers on their car, to take part in public protests? That is wrong. That can't happen. I am in favor of journalists advocating for literacy or for voting or for free speech issues. But when it comes to political campaigns, they should not be involved. And I think they should just try to suppress the idea of taking a stand one way or the other even in their own minds some people will argue well at least when they express where they stand at least we know where they're coming from i'm thinking that they need to really hold back on forming an opinion until they actually have to on election day
0: we're going to leave it at that that's the end of our hour no uh, <laughs>
3: judy we'll have to true. continue this discussion later
0: barbara lombardo judy patrick allen shartok and i'm rex smith with gratitude to our patient producer david Gasina. And to you for joining us this week on The Media Project.
2: The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org RG or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for
0: listening. Oh, mm-hmm.